Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. Truth, it's not complicated. Opinions are one thing, this food I like, this I hated, but truth is much simpler, it can't be debated. The truth should be anything but complicated. Like roses are red, violets are blue, it's ridiculously clear, color that statement true. But hold up, wait a minute. What if my red's your blue? What if your rose is my tulip, your violet my daisy? What if I reject the idea of colors or flowers? You see, truth can get crazy. But if truth's based on feelings, while we're towing that line, if you make your own truth up, can I make up mine? If your two squared is four, can my two squared be nine? Would that be okay? The math's gone. Next in line. History, right? If I choose with all my spirit and might to convince you the North and South didn't fight, if I could persuade you with emotions and music that I was in the theater that night to see what John Wilkes Booth did and you believed it, would that be truth then? If all truth is just a house of cards, when one ace falls over, the whole castle falls hard. Is truth even noble? If not, is there such thing as an education? Is there use in talking salvation? A senior wouldn't really have a graduation from anything real, just four years of misinformation. Can truth be trusted if it's open to interpretation? If all truth is relative, the truth ceases to be. Except for the truth that is true just for me. You see, truth is more complex than you thought it would be. Have we become so numb to the ramblings of culture that we eat what it tells us like ill-advised vultures? If truth goes away, there's confusion and pain when right and wrong are opinions. The chaos will reign. We experience sickness of body and brain. Brother killing brother like Abel and Cain. Civil unrest. Lord send justice like rain. And the horror repeats itself like a haunting refrain. Enter Jesus. You ask him? You know what he'd say? I am the truth and the life and the way. (laughs) Did you catch that pattern? The way, the truth, the life. Light cuts through our darkness like an overpriced knife. The way, not a way, the life, not a life, and the truth, not a truth. And with that, he puts all opposing ideas into a scandalous group. He says quite simply, if it ain't me, it ain't true. Complicated enough. Truth isn't complicated, it's just been hijacked. It's time to start over, refocus, and take it back. I know, I know, it's a scandalous claim. Can a man really say he and truth are the same? More than a scandal, it's brazen, it's shameless, it's bold, but it's worth our time to find out we might see. Truth be told, the truth might just set you free. Truth. What is truth? I was reminded backstage that uh, there is a truth that you need to be reminded of, is that men's breakfast is on the 14th. (laughs) I think last week I said it was the 7th, and so sorry for that confusion. I just thought I'd start with some truth. It's the 14th. It's the last one of the year. Truth. What is truth? That's what Pilate said to Jesus. It's the most, I think it's the most profound question, statement, 
question. And it's a, it's a statement we're still dealing with today. Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? I think it's interesting to try to unpack this truth. It's, um, you know, philosophers have, have, you go to take a class in philosophy, you're going to hear all kinds of ways to try, that man has tried to ascertain, ascertain the truth. There's some different ways. I'm going to mention three of them. There's more than this, but there's, there's three ways that you'll, major ways you're going to hear philosophers talk about. And I'm not saying any of them are wrong. I'm just saying this is their, man's best effort to try to understand truth, trying to answer this age-old question that Pilate asked. So one of those, there's three different theories. One of, that I'm going to talk about this morning, or just real briefly, is that there's this correspondence theory of truth. This theory states that there's a proposition is true if it correlates to and reflects reality, okay? So if I say it's raining outside and you walk outside and it's raining outside, then that's truth. It's like, okay, it's my reality. I felt it. If I said it's windy outside, you wouldn't even need to go outside. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, I know, I know that's true. So that's the correspondence theory of truth. It corresponds to some reality, all right? That's one way. Another way that man has tried to understand truth is the coherence theory of truth. This theory is basically based on this uh, that proposition that if I had a pencil on this table and, I, and the pencil falls off because I'm wobbling it too much and it hits the ground. Okay, so you up front are going to see that it hits the ground. You in the back may not see that it hit the ground, but you may hear that it hit the ground. So that's corresponding with, uh, or it's coherence with what the people that saw up here and the people that heard back there. But then there's other people that said, these people over here said, no, I saw that there was a pencil and now there's not one there. So you get all these correspondence, if you will, coherence theory of truth, then conclusion that a pencil fell to the ground. That's true. That's another way that man has kind of tried to understand truth. A third way I'm going to talk about is the pragmatic theory of truth. This theory states that something is true if it is useful. And so someone might say that, that uh, they believe that making as much money as they possibly can make is, is the important one, is the most important thing in one's life. And is that useful? For sure. That's no question about that. That's useful. And for that person, that use, it's, since it's useful, it's true, according to the pragmatics theory. Now, somebody else might say, well, I believe the most important thing is that, that you have a lot of friends. Is that useful to have friends? Of course it's useful. And for that person, the most important thing, so that's the pragmatic theory. So you can see that man has tried to approach this a lot of different ways. What is truth. For the past few weeks, we have, really for the past few years, we have been bombarded with these words, fake news, shadow banning, Russian disinformation, censorship. This week, we've been bombarded with Twitter, free speech, truth social, and the proposed launch, this, just this week, the proposed launch of a disinformation board so Pilate's question is still as relevant today in our newspaper 
as it was when Pilate asked the question of Jesus himself. Think about it. Asking the creator of the universe. He didn't know that. Understand that. But we look back at it and it's like he was asking the creator of the universe the most important question that we could ask. What is truth? Well, like any good sermon, we need some definitions. So let's go to the Greek definition of truth. It's Alathena. Alathena is truth, true to fact, reality. So this whole idea, the Greeks really had this tangible idea that if something's true, it was attached with reality. And we're going to see that in just a second. That's kind of how they dealt with this concept of truth. In ancient Greek culture, Alathena was synonymous with reality as opposed to illusion, Okay. If it's illusion, that's not true. If it's reality, it's true. That's how the Greeks' mind brought this to be. So a couple of Greek philosophers that you know, Plato and Aristotle, they said that the world has... They started with this basic presupposition that the world has meaning. There is a meaning in this world. So they started with that. I would tell you that not everybody starts with that, not the philosophers today. But these two famous Plato and Aristotle, started with this presupposition that the world has meaning and value. And so when they looked at it, they saw these three things. They saw that the cosmic values of truth is actually which defines reality. So I've already explained that one. But they also saw another thing that's called logos. It's reason. Uh, they, they believed that this idea that human beings had this internal capacity to reason things, logos is what they called it a reasoning, to come to the conclusion of. And the third one was ethos. Ethos was morality. And that this whole idea that um, um, uh, that we have this ethos or this morality, that uh, that's another leg on this stool. So we got logos, we got ethos, and the third one, I'm sorry, is pathos, which is emotion. So we have these emotions, so that's beauty, that's art, and so they got to see the reality is pathos, that's art, that's beauty. Um, ethos, which is morality, that's goodness. And logos, which is reason, that's truth. That's how they unpacked these, this three-legged stool of understanding. And, but you have to understand that they, they believed, which not everybody believes or even teaches today, that they believed that there was meaning and purpose in this world and you could actually touch this reality. You could actually see, okay, it's raining outside. You can actually see that is beautiful. That's an ethos. That's a beautiful painting. That's a beautiful structure. And they also believe that there was a goodness or badness. And that's where I think there's a lot of difference today. They believed in a good and an evil, a right and a wrong. And they had to in order to understand goodness. So there's some background of trying to understand how man is trying to understand truth. Jesus said this in John 17, 17, he prayed this as he was, I believe he was down in the Kidron Valley before they came up to the Mount of Olives, to to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he was going to pray to the Father that night before he was betrayed. And in that that Kidron Valley, that's what most people believe he said this, that's when he talked about the vine, you're the vine, I'm the uh, the vine, you're the the, um, branches. My father is the vine dresser. Uh, All that is in John 16. And the next thing is a prayer for his disciples in John 17. Powerful prayer. Historic prayer. It's It's one of the most famous and I think one of the most pertinent lines in this prayer 
to our, to our discussion today is when Jesus said this, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. Think about what he's saying here, sanctify them. Sanctify means make holy. Make them holy, Father, in truth, in reality. That's what, that's what that word. Then, and, uh, and then he says, thy word, or this is called logos. The Greeks knew that logos was reason. And, the, and, the, and uh, when Jesus is described in John 1, 1, and the word or the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. All, all uh, scripture is God breathed. So God breathed this truth, this logos, his reason, his truth, his reality. Okay. That's the truth claim of the scripture, that it's God's truth. And, and Jesus is praying, make them holy in reality. Your reasoning or your logos is reality. That's, that's what he was praying for them. And that they could aspire to understand that God's logos is reality. Now, today we have all kinds of opinions on what is truth and what is reality. We're going to unpack a few of those and try to understand that a little bit today. But I, say, I still say, claim that we're still asking this question. Whether we actually say it or not, our society is screaming it. What is truth? Three things I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about that question, what is truth. I'm going to talk about thy word is truth. And the third one that I really think is important is our beliefs, how our beliefs impact truth. Our beliefs impact on truth. In other words, there can be a truth, but if you don't believe it's true, you're not going to take action on that truth. So your belief system, your part in this truth is, well, it's, it's excruciatingly important whether you believe it to be true or not true. So let's start with this. What is truth? I'm going to start back in John 18. Um, you might want to have a Bible. I'm going to chase down several passages if our hosts would not, wouldn't mind bringing Bibles down if you don't have a Bible, because there's going to be some passages in, in, that you're not going to see on the screen, and you might want them. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep this Bible. This is a gift from us to you. Just keep it. I'd like for you to go home and circle it, draw, draw in it, scribe in it. That's what I think you're supposed to do with this thing. This is his word, his logos, and we want this logos to reflect in our lives. So circle stuff that's important to you. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus, and he said to him, are you, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. Wow. Now, this is, a, this is either the most amazing truth claim that we're still trying to figure out today, or this is Jesus going crazy. Because he answers Pilate, are you a king? And basically what he's saying is, yes, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. So he is claiming to be a king. All right, so basically the question would be, where's your kingdom? And he, was, he, could, he can honestly, if he were debating this, and I could understand what Jesus has said throughout Scripture, is my kingdom is, is all around you. It's in your heart. 
The question is, are you a part of that kingdom or not? Now, this is one of those now, not yet. Yes, now he is king, but is he fully reigning as king in Jerusalem? No, he's, he's on trial. Does he truly have subjects? Yes, but they're not the ones in power. So he's, got, he's a king, he's got a realm, he's got subjects, but it's, not, it's, it's there, but you have to see it by, with faith eyes, and it's not yet, not completed, because he's not ruling and reigning as king, total authority as king, because there's still evil in the world that has to be dealt with, and that's what he's getting ready to do. So, so what he, Jesus does, he answers him, and truthfully here, my kingdom is not of this world. If, my, if it were, my servants would be fighting that it may not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So what is, what is the kingdom today? If you were to ask that, you'd probably get a lot of different answers. And I would have to say that it is a, it's a tough, uh, it's not an easy question to answer. I do believe that there is an active kingdom. I don't believe the church is the kingdom, though. Um, the church is maybe a part of the kingdom or ought to be. We should be, we should be people of the kingdom, we should be kingdom people trying to apply his kingdom words to our lives. That's what kingdom people do. Kingdom people, the best they can, try to apply this word to their lives. That's what kingdom people do. So I would say the church is full of kingdom people, but it's not the kingdom. Christ is ruling and reigning, and he is the head of the church. But still, I, I struggle, maybe, I struggle saying that this is the kingdom. This is not. We're the bride. We're pointing to the kingdom. We're, we're teaching things of, that the kingdom people need to know, the morality, the goodness, the beauty, the truth. We're trying to do that the best we possibly can, but we're not the kingdom. Not, not in the way that the Bible describes when the king, and I'm going to explain it at the very end. You're going to see, okay, that's, okay, I get it. That's the king and that's the kingdom, and these are the subjects. It's very clear. This is like a foreshadowing, but the church is, is important. It's the bride. And we're full of kingdom people trying to do kingdom things by listening to the kingdom instructions. So, and Pilate said to him, so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. That is, that is the most amazing thing. It's like, that's the reason I came here, is to, to show you, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the, this is good, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, here it is, what is truth? Everybody has their own idea about truth, right? And this is uh, what Jesus said. I came to bear witness to what is true. John 14, 1 through 7, Jesus makes it very clear. We saw it in the, in the little clip beforehand. Jesus said this, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life. Now, whether you believe that or not, is, that's, that's up to you. But this is the truth claim. Jesus is claiming, I am the way. I'm the way to the kingdom. I'm the king trying to attract kingdom people to the kingdom. He hadn't even instituted the church yet, but the church through the Holy Spirit was instituted, and it gave a little, little foreshadowing of kingdom stuff. 
I think every once in a while we, we bump into kingdom things. We do th- kingdom things, and, and um, well, not, I hope it's more than every once in a while. But sometimes I think the church really looks like the kingdom, and I think sometimes we really don't. That's what my point is. Sometimes we don't look like the kingdom. In fact, we, you read in the newspapers, and sometimes we look like the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. But there is a kingdom, according to Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you want to get to the Father, you've got to come through me. This is one of the most divisive statements. In This is what divides religions. It's like we want to all get along and you sing Kumbaya. Okay, and then we're saying, okay, by the way, uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a whole bunch of people who say, yeah, I'm out. Well, I didn't know you believed that. Don't you believe my way is the way, the truth, and the life? And it's like, I didn't say that. I just said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm following him. So what's that mean about your way? I'm not looking so good for you. It's divisive, guys. I mean, how do you make that kind of statement? It's not, it's not you have to decide. It's a strong, strong truth claim. He came to bear witness to the truth. And he says, I am the truth. Thy word is truth. This is the prayer. I'm going to say it again. He was, he was praying this with his disciples. And he says, sanctify them. Make them holy, Father, in truth. Thy word, thy logos, your reality, your reality, God, is truth. Make it come alive in my disciples that you've given to me. That's what he's saying. Psalm 119 is an interesting passage. It's the longest psalm in all of the the Bible. It's got 160-some verses in it. Um, So, yes, I or no, I'm not going to read all of it today, just so you know. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 104 is where I want to start, 105. If you want to follow along, this is not going to be on the screen. It says this, Your word, your logos, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And so what the psalmist was saying is, Lord, what I get, what I get out of your word, when I read your word, and, and you realize the whole New Testament hasn't been written yet. This is just the, this would be the Old Testament. Psalmist wrote, guys, these psalmists wrote 800 to 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. So uh, there's, a lot of the, there's a lot of the prophets hadn't been written yet. All the Daniel and all that stuff that wouldn't have been written yet. So thy word, they would have had, they would have had the, the uh, Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they would have had uh, maybe Joshua, Judges, and some of those books were, uh, were circulating. But that was God's word. That was what they had at that time. And he says, thy word is instruction to my feet. Thy, thy word is a light into my feet. A lamp into my feet, a light into my path. This is where I get my, this is what's helping me take that next step. He's reading God's word and he's making that claim. And he's saying, this is how I'm applying it into my life. Thy word is a lamp. It's a light. Another passage, Psalm, uh, Psalm 119, 114, same page. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And so not only is it light, but it's also protection. God, I've, I've hidden myself in your word. I've hidden myself in your truth. I've got ideas that people disagree with, but I'm, I'm, cl- I'm standing on your truth, God. 
I'm counting on you to come through and not let these waves crash over me, that you are the rock, that you are faithful. We just sing about this stuff all the time, don't we? Do we believe that when we apply his truth? Do we claim, say, God, I'm standing on your truth, and I will tell you, the waves are looking like they're going to take me over, but I'm standing on your truth. I'm trusting in your truth. I believe your, your truth led my feet to this path, and God, I'm trusting in you right now. That's what the psalmist is, how he's using this truth. So the application is, is amazing. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I, I did this for those of you that like uh, the Excel spreadsheet. You know, the sum, you can take that and scroll it. You can scroll this all the way across from, Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation. You go like that and hit sum. The sum total of everything that you say is truth. That's what the psalmist is saying. The sum of everything, that, and this is, this is everything you say. At that time, they didn't have all of it. Again, I get that. But everything that they had, he said, that's the sum total of everything you said is truth. In Mark, um, Mark records a story that I think it's one of the cool stories when Jesus was... They were trying to trap him, and he knew they were trying to trap him. He even told them that he knew this was a trap. And the way that he gets out of this trap, they thought they had him. They thought there's no way he can get out of this. Because if he goes on one side, half of the people will be disgusted with him. If he chooses the other side, he'll be put to death. And so either way, we've got him. I can't wait till we get to ask him this question. Are you ready? Here it is. Mark chapter 12, verse 14. And they sent him to some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. They, they, they came to trap, to trap him as he talked. And they came and they said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful? Okay, so, so they're setting him up. I mean, anytime that anybody's that sweet and they're an enemy of yours, you know... All right, whatever's happening next is, is not going to be. This is a trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if he says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then all the Jews are going to say, wait, wait, wait. You said or Caesar claims to be king, and you said you're the king, and so you're wanting us to honor him as king now? That's, that's not working. So that, if he answers that, that's not a good way to go. If he says, don't pay taxes to Caesar, well, the authorities can, they can arrest you and put you to death right on the spot, which is what the Pharisees were hoping. He was in a pickle. Should we pay them or should we not? Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarii. And let me look at it. And by the way, one of the guys, I, I just know they had a denarii, denarii in his pocket. Denarii has a pretty good chunk of change. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a half a penny thing. It's, a, it's like worth something. Oh, here you go. I got one right here. He probably had 10 of them in his pocket. Bring it to me. Bring me a denarii, denarii and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, he picks it up like this, I'm sure. And he goes, whose likeness is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, 
Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they marveled at him. I mean, I'm sure a bunch of them were, were frustrated and ticked, but they were going, dang, he's good. <laughs> we came to trap him, and we're the ones standing in the cage. Thy word is truth. Well, so what is belief's impact on truth? Uh, this is the one. This is the one where the rubber meets the road. This is the one where, uh, when you tar- start taking action on this truth. Now, it's one thing to believe the truth for yourself, and you, and that's certainly a challenge. That's salvation. That's all those things. But when you start reading this word, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read this through a pastor's lens. So I'm not gonna ask you to feel this. If you don't want to feel it, you don't have to feel it. But I do believe this is written for those that are entrusted with preaching and teaching and leading in the community of faith, okay? So, so I take this one really personal. In fact, um, this is one that got drilled into us in seminary pretty deep. So I'm going to read it to you, and, and then I'll unpack a little bit of how I've tried to apply it. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16, and at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked for his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But... His blood will be required at your hand. You get this? In other words, I told you that what that wicked person was doing is wicked, but if you don't tell them, they're going to die for their wickedness. But it's going to be on you, watchman on the wall, because you should have told them. Now, hold that thought. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. In other words, this is taking truth to another level. It's not only applying it to me in my life, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Now it's being applied to somebody else. Uh, Just so you know that that action is out of bounds with what God's word teaches. I mean, it, it may sound easy, but you know, if you think about this, this is not easy. This is, this is, uh, this boundary, uh, this is battle lines drawn sometimes. Very, very, I won't say ever, but for the most part, when people get confronted with God's truth, if we do, even if the best we do, if we do speak the truth in love, when we t- follow all the rules and not doing judgmental, I'm not doing condemning, I'm doing all the things I very possibly can to do this the most gentle and tender way to say this. This action is outside of the bounds of God's truth. I will tell you, most people don't just say, oh, thank you. Now, many of you do because you, you know the importance. It's like, oh, man, I didn't know this. Thank you for telling me. But not everybody's that way. In fact, many get angry and their veins pop out of their neck, and sometimes they, they want to get rid of you. Again, if the righteous person turns from his, his righteousness. No, we gotta, now this is not a wicked person. we got a righteous person. If a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, 
And I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die. But you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will be required at your hand. Because you didn't tell him. It's like he, he was one of the fold, and you, he drifted off the side, and you didn't tell him. This is terribly convicting for me personally. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. You see the responsibility here? I think you could actually take this as parents and pass it down. It's like, well, I'm just going to let my kid figure out truth on his own. That's not what this is saying. You, you need to warn them. This is truth. This is wickedness. What, what you're, this direction is, is wicked. This is evil. It's going to have a consequence. Now, if I, if I do, my, do it in a way that's not exasperating my child, but do it in a way that's loving and tender and but truthful and all those things, it's like uh, now it's, it's totally on them. You've given them the instruction from God the very best you possibly can. You probably can give them some examples out of your own life. I, I did the same path. I get it. And I, I just want you to know it doesn't end well. See, there's a responsibility. See, what you believe about truth is one thing for your own self. But when you believe this to the, this degree, this is another level. This is saying, I want it to impact my family or even my society. Some of you know this, the last two years, um, I would say that my mantra has been, uh, and I, I just believe, I, I think it was two or maybe three years ago, and I just felt like, the biggest battle of our day is the hearts and minds of our kids. I, and I believe that. I, I still believe that. I think it's, a, it's crucial. It's essential. Well, last, really in the last year, I kind of took it from a conviction level to saying, deciding, okay, I feel like as a leader in the position I'm in, I'm going to do the very best I possibly can to try to bring truth and light to a situation I was concerned about, and that's curriculum in our schools. In particular, the suicide ideation that I saw, I particularly saw, or I, I, I believe that I saw in this. And so I went to the head of the school board, and I went to the head of the administration. And I know many of you know this story, but I'm, I'm just going to share it as an example. Um, and I started both of those conversations with this verse, that when Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones who stumble, I said, this is, this is why I'm here. I'm not here to say that I, I've got all, I'm just saying I have a conviction and I want to share with you and my conviction is not my own. It's coming from a place of, of the Lord. It's actually coming a fear of the Lord kind of place. As Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones who love me to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and be cast to the bottom of the sea. I don't want that. And I, I, there's some things that I'm concerned about and I, I'd like to at least we have a thank you for this opportunity to be able to share these. There's a couple of us that went and we did spoke truth and love and did the very best we could to shine light in a way that to give this opinion. Now, here's what I learned through this whole process. Both the school board and the uh, uh, administration gave me their examples of, because I, I kept referring to these things as dark ideation. I just feel like these stories are dark. And it, it's concerning to me, especially, in, and I was just talking about the suicide. That's the only one that I camped on. And um, now, their answers to this, both in both cases, was, yes, we see these are dark stories. We understand that. But 
those dark stories actually relate to darkness. In fact, there's kids that are dealing with darkness. And so this darkness is relating to this darkness and it's helping my child. And many of you are probably nodding your heads like, That's, this is true. And my final thought was this. I believe you're right, that darkness can, I see what you're saying, point made. Darkness can relate to darkness. But darkness cannot expel darkness. Only light can do that. And I think, now, whether they believe the light the way that I do, I, you know, and I gave all my reasons why I thought this was not healthy for this child, whatever it is. Then the only other thing I felt like I had to do is to basically say, okay, parents, grandparents, here's the deal. This is, what, this is what's in our community. It's what they believe. This is why they believe it. Now, I had several of you who came in my office and were upset that I, um, that I stepped out of the, behind this pulpit ever. I should never have done that. I get that. Some have told me that they believe dark stories are important and they give me all kinds of reasons for that. And I'll just tell you, here's what I know to be true. Darkness can explain darkness I, I, and relate to it and make some people feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, the me too, all that stuff. Darkness can explain it, make you even feel better, but it cannot expel it. Darkness never expels darkness. Only light can do that. But I'll tell you, when you take truth, God's truth, to yourself, that's one thing, and we should. You take truth to outside of yourself, it's... It's risky. And we're going to be talking about how to speak the truth in love and what it means to rightly handle the word of truth and all these things because we've got to do this right. We can't do it wrong. Um, I want to end with a, a passage that, that I think, again, it challenges our belief system. It really, everything it, it brings to the, the fore is it's like, okay, what do you believe? This is, this is a truth statement. But it's just going to be pages, words on a page unless you believe it. If you believe it, this is, it has one impact. If, it, if you don't believe it, you just brush it off. So it's really about what your belief system is toward this truth. Do you believe this is logos, God's word to us? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and what Jesus spoke to us and what he said. Does that guide your life or does your own truth guide your life? Here's what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3. I'm sorry, 21, Revelation 21. Verses 1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. This is John writing for what he saw. This is his vision on Patmos. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. See, there is a time, the Bible says there's going to be a kingdom, and a king is going to be on the throne in the kingdom, and they will have subjects, and there will be a realm. So it's kind of now, but not yet, not like this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. So he is seated on the throne. That's, that's Jesus. He's seated on the throne. A physical realm is what he's talking about here. Behold, I'm making all things new. 
uh, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give him spring of, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's a, that's a powerful truth claim. The question is, do you believe it? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a truth claim. Do you believe it? How's it going to impact your life? How's your belief system intersect with God's truth claim? I believe the answer to that question, what is truth? This is the best definition I've heard. Truth. It's reality through God's lens. Truth is reality through God's lens. Not my lens, not another person's lens. It's through God's lens. And I think that's the challenge that we have. Do we believe this is truth? Because this is truth through God's lens. Do we believe it? And how are we going to apply it? to our lives. One of the things we do in church is we take communion together. And what communion is, is we, we celebrate and remember the truth that Christ took all of my sin and he put it on himself and he paid for it at Calvary. That's what this does. This is, this is a reminder of a truth claim that all of my sin was paid for in Calvary. And now here's the, the interesting thing about this truth claim. I've repented of my sin, and I can tell you there is real freedom in my soul because of it. I, it's tangible. It's changed my life. And it gives me hope. I mean, I have this hope I can't describe to you. I have this hope. It, it, it carries me. I don't know how people live without it. The hope that I can stand before a holy God someday, and he says, oh, that's, that's one of my kids. He accepted Christ in 1969, a little front of a school, went back in the band room, prayed with this girl with brown hair and asked Jesus in his heart, wrote his name in the Lamb's book of life. That, I changed my life. It wasn't perfect, no. Drifted a lot. Had a lot of people bring truth in my life. Try to get me back on the straight and narrow, all that. And this is what, this is what we do is we, we remind ourselves that he broke his body, shed his blood, so all of us that have drifted off the path or all of us that didn't even know that there was a path and found that path we remember that Christ is the way he is the truth and he's the life as you take this bread I usually just break it right between my fingers just remember that Christ broke his body for me I say that and I can't even break this and thank him for it Lord, I thank you for breaking your body, your broken body and buried body became a resurrected body. Unbelievable. Gave us hope beyond the grave, gave us hope beyond our sinfulness. And the stripes that you shed cleanses us from our sin. I didn't, 
it's amazing to me that you, there's a way for you, righteous God, to take on Logos. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and you died, suffered so that, that we, could, we could join you in glory. That's amazing. And you've, all you've asked us to do is just every time we take this cup, just remember, just remember. You were a sinner and Christ took all of my sin and he put it on himself on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. Father in heaven, I pray that as we grapple with truth, how to apply this truth, your truth, it's one thing to, to read it and understand it and know it. It's another thing to apply it to our lives, and it's even another to apply it to the world around us. And this is not easy. It's not popular, and it's not... And in our day and age, Lord, it's, it's sometimes it's not even safe. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, the wisdom, the courage to know when and how, with whom, to, to bring your truth, your reality, through your perspective to our situation, to our world. Lord, we need you. Our country needs you. There's countries around the world that are desperately crying out for you. Lord, we lift these things to you and pray this in Jesus' mighty name.